0: Welcome to church this morning. I am Leanne Boltice and together with the team, we would like to welcome you. Whether you're in the building or at home, on vacation, just returning, whether you're a visitor or have attended Faith Church for many years, it is good to gather in our Lord's presence and worship Him together. This morning as we look at the power of forgiveness, let us begin our time together by reflecting on the challenge that the Apostle Paul gives us as he gave the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 4, verse 32, he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Let's consider today the challenge and the power that forgiveness can and does have. God calls us in in all of our situations of life to show love to those around us, forgive others, even our enemies. Let's raise those trials to him and begin with praising our King with the song. Raise a hallelujah. Please rise. Please join me now in a prayer of confession. Dear Lord, we ask that you forgive us our sins. We recognize that we make mistakes, and we know that you forgive us when we ask. We also ask that you help us to cope with the emotions that we experience as a result of our wrongdoings. Please guide us, sustain us, and help heal us from the pain and the shame that we may experience. Help us to remember that we are children of God and you forgive us completely. Lord, please help us to remember the power of forgiveness and help us to have the courage to extend this to others. We know what it means to forgive, but the pain sometimes makes it too difficult to forget and at moments even to forgive. Please help us to move past what was said and done by filling our hearts with forgiveness for others. Help us to show your love to those around us in all situations. Lord, we know that we are sinners. Please show us how to become more like you. Please help us to watch our words and actions and guard us against future mistakes and errors. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for our sins. And thank you for your forgiveness. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
1: Good morning everyone, as most of you know my name is Audrey and I'm one of your deacons here and it's my privilege this morning to share with you that the offering this morning is for HDCH so right now I'll let you if you are interested to dig out your bridge app and open it up while I share a little bit about HDCH. It's actually James that was originally scheduled and I kind of think it worked out a little bit better because he's a bit biased to King so anyway. In all seriousness, HD is a Christ-centered high school located in Ancaster. The mission statement reads, cultivating character through learning for a life of service to God. Their vision is to see that all their graduates of HD become a faithful presence in the community that they serve. As a past student and parent of children who attended, I can share personally how much I appreciated the way that home, church, and school work together in leading and teaching our kids to live their faith out loud and real in our communities and in the world we live so i encourage you to consider supporting hd and by doing so you too will be helping to carry out their mission of cultivating characters into a life of service to god now please join me in prayer father in heaven thank you for hamilton district christian high school Thank you for the staff and the teachers who teach, guide, and instruct their students through a Christ-centered education. Thank you for your protection and faithfulness during these several months of COVID. Lord, we pray for all those who walk through the doors at HD. May they learn more and more how to be your instruments here for your purpose. Bless our offering this morning, and we thank you for the many gifts and blessings you give us, which allow us to bless others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
2: Good morning. My name is Margaret Donato, and I'm one of the elders here at Faith. Before I lead you in prayer, I'd like to share a few announcements. First of all, they're having a great event, Praise in the Parking Lot, next Sunday. Sounds like a fun time, and it's been put on by one of our home churches, our home church groups. Bring your instruments, and for more details, check out the church email, or contact Marion Lensing or Marge Clute. Peter German, we've been praying for him for the last few weeks. He's settled well at the Regional Rehabilitation Center in Hamilton, and he's working hard with three physio sessions each day. This week, Inga saw Peter walking with the assistance of two therapists and a machine. We praise God for every step of recovery and continue to pray for miraculous results, as well as perseverance and hope. Jerry Schumann returned home on Thursday. He's glad to sleep in his own bed and he'll be receiving in-home physio for quite a while yet, and your prayers and appreciations and expressions of support are welcomed by both Jerry and Pat and Peter and Inga. Let me lead you in a time of prayer. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion? Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? David wrote this Psalm long ago, and today we can still sing along with God's people, hallelujah, for all that God has done for us. We can come to you, Lord, because of your amazing grace. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we thank you that we are able to meet here on Mountainside along with many on Zoom. Thank you for technology and all those involved in allowing it to happen. We thank you for our worship team as they lead us in worship each week. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of summer, the opportunities for rest and relaxation from our daily activities. Keep us all safe as many of us travel. We pray that you would bless the planned praise praise in the parking lot next Sunday. May it be a real time of joy and fellowship for our faith community. We thank you that many of us have received the vaccine and that some restrictions have been lifted. Lord, we pray for healing for those who have been affected with COVID. We pray for the reopening team as they look for us at how we as a church can operate safely as we move ahead during these uncertain times. Be with the elders and the deacons as they meet this week. Bless their conversations. We thank you for successful spinal surgery for Ashley's dad. We pray that his recovery would go well. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. Each and every day, you bless us with our daily needs, things we take for granted such as food, clothing, and our homes. We pray for the country Haiti. We pray that peace may prevail. Be with all of those who are impacted by the earthquakes and the tropical storms. May they be receiving the aid they so desperately need. We lift up the work of world renew. May the supplies they need be multiplied. We pray that you would keep our missionaries and aid workers safe during these turbulent times. We cry out for the country of Afghanistan. We pray for justice and peace. We know it is only you who can work in these circumstances. We pray that in the midst of this great turmoil, we're able to glimpse the goodness and grace of our covenant God. Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, we want to pray for the Canadian elections. May men and women with integrity be voted in to lead Canada. We pray for our missionaries, Greg Sinclair and Steve Holtrop. Thank you that in a small way, we can be a part of their ministry with our financial funds and prayers. We continue to pray for classes Hamilton church planting team May we at Faith receive wisdom as we determine Faith Church's response to their invitation. Lord, make it clear the direction we should take as a church community. We continue to pray for Bethany Holmes, bless the staff and residents. We pray for those who continue to mourn the loss of loved ones. We want to lift up Roberto and Andreas as they both mourn the loss of their respective fathers. May they feel your comfort and feel your peace. We pray for those who struggle each day with chronic illness. May you give them hope and patience to endure. We pray for Peter and Jerry as they continue on their long road of recovery. Thank you for the progress that they've made over the past week. May they be filled with your peace. We pray for Sylvia, Fred Brickelman's mother, who's been battling cancer for a long time. Give her peace and may she look forward to the day that you would call her home. Lord. We pray that you would be with pastor cara as she leads faith may she and her family have a restful vacation may her message this morning speak to us fill her with your holy spirit may we hear your voice lord hear the prayers of our hearts this morning both the ones we have spoken and the unspoken lord we ask this all in jesus name amen
3: Thanks, Margaret and Audrey and Leanne. It is good to be with you again this morning. And before I embark on two weeks of vacation with my family, it is a privilege to once again talk about a time to weep. Kids, if you are watching at home, there's a couple of you here in the building. I have a question for you this morning. We're going to read a story about Joseph, a short story about Joseph this morning and he cries in this story so much that the whole household can hear him and they're so surprised or taken aback by it that they go and tell the Pharaoh in his palace that Joseph was crying loudly. And I'm curious if you can figure out by the end of the sermon why he's crying. Genesis I discovered the story of Joseph is in Genesis and I've discovered that it's kind of a weepy book that word for weep comes up a number of times in Genesis more than any other in the Old Testament and we see in Genesis first of all we hear that Hagar cries she is the first or the, she is the wife of Abraham and is sent away after Ishmael is born And she goes into the wilderness and she cries because she thinks she's going to die she feels abandoned and lost later abraham dies when his other wife sarah passes away and he mourns for her it makes sense that we would cry in those situations there's another story in genesis where esau who is abraham isaac jacob so abraham's grandson um Cries in anger because his father Jacob or his father Isaac blesses Jacob instead of Esau. And Esau is longing for his father's blessing too, so he cries. Jacob, because Esau is so angry about losing the blessing, he runs off and when he gets to a far off land, he cries when he sees his relative Rachel. I think he's just so relieved that he has made it there in safety, and he sees someone he knows that is familiar to him, at least in name and face. And then eventually Esau and Jacob, they reunite and they weep when they come back together. I think there's a sense that they forgive one another and that they are willing to be restored in relationship. So my question for you is, why does Joseph cry? It's not sadness, and it's not anger, and it's not a sense of loss. So let us all turn to Genesis 45. This is the middle of the story of Joseph. It starts in chapter 37, and we'll, we'll do a bit of backfill after I read this passage. But let's read the first 15 verses of Genesis 45. Then, he's in conversation with his brothers, Joseph is. Then, Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly. The, The Egyptians in his house heard him, and Pharaoh's household in the palace heard about it. Joseph said to my brothers, his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in this land and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you here to Egypt to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now, hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who, I, who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt, and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is an artwork called Swan's Revenge by G-Chef. I don't know anything about it. I found it online. But I feel like it communicates well what I think of, the feelings that I think of when I hear the word revenge. When I think of the story of Joseph and Jacob and all his sons, I think of revenge. I think of the fact that they are burdened. They are heavy by the desire for revenge. So we start back in Genesis 37. Jacob, you may remember, has two wives, Leah and Rachel. He loves Rachel more than Leah. Leah gives him more sons than Rachel does. He also has two other women who give him children. And so he has 12 children in all. But because he loves Rachel best, he loves Joseph best of all his sons. And so, as you might do if you have a favorite, you buy, he bought a beautiful robe for Joseph. Joseph doesn't get along so well with his older brothers. They see that he is Jacob's favorite and don't want to have anything to do with him. But he gets, makes it worse for himself While they're out sheep herding, he tattles on them because of some things that they've done. He also has two dreams in which he sees his brothers and his parents bowing down to him in different forms. And rather than keep that to himself or say it tentatively to his dad who deeply loves him, he says it maybe even in a sort of lording it over kind of way to his brothers. And so, understandably, Joseph's brothers are unhappy. They are angry, and below that, they are hurt. They've lost their father's affection. It must be incredibly hard and painful to see that your father loves someone else more than they love you. They feel left out. They feel belittled by their younger brother's sense of lording and leadership. And so in this pain, this hurt, all of this heaviness, they decide to exact revenge. They decide to hurt. And so they hurt Joseph. Genesis 37 tells the story that they consider killing Joseph when he comes out to check on them. But they ended up deciding to put him in an empty cistern. And then they sell him off to traders who are going to take him to Egypt to make him a slave. They also, in so doing, maybe even intentionally so, hurt their father. They convince him that their, his favorite son, Joseph, has been devoured by a wild animal. And at the end of that chapter, it says that Jacob refuses to be comforted. He mourns and weeps and cannot be consoled. Joseph's family is burdened by a desire for revenge. It feels red and wild and heavy. But I know that Joseph's family is not alone. We, too, are burdened by a desire for revenge. That pattern of hurt to hurt to hurt is very common. Here's a diagram from Desmond Tutu and his daughter Mpo Tutu. They call it the revenge cycle. They say that for as long as the world is sinful, as long as there is brokenness and vulnerability and frailty in this world, there will be hurt and harm, and loss. We've spent the summer talking about different forms of loss and how hard it can be. All of those things, hurt, harm, and loss, very legitimately cause pain. The question is, what happens with that pain? And all too often, we choose to harm. So this cycle, it's hard to read, says we choose to harm we reject the shared humanity of others and we exact revenge we retaliate we pay back in some sort of way which often ends up being some form of violence or cruelty which then creates more harm more hurt more loss which leads to more pain and the cycle all too often continues We can see that cycle in Joseph's family, but I think we can see it in our biological family. We can see it here in our church family, and we certainly can see it in our world. Imagine you're playing a game. Kids, you're playing a game and someone has promised to help you. It's a team game. Maybe you create an alliance, but instead, of working together with your teammate with you they go off and help the other team maybe they tell a secret that you were hoping to keep and what is the first thing you want to do you want to punch them or run after them and hurt them in some way or maybe if you're feeling a little bit more held back you go to your mom or your sibling or your friend and you say can you believe what so and so did they were supposed to be my friend. Maybe you even spread something that's not quite true about them. They're the worst person in the world. Jack Cornfield, a researcher on forgiveness, tells of a woman whose son is killed by another young boy, simply because that boy wanted to get into a gang. And so to get into the gang he had to shoot someone he didn't know he does it and he's convicted and that woman stands up at the trial and says right into the eyes of the boy who's been convicted i'm going to kill you and i think there's a part of us every one of us here listening that can identify with that woman that is the natural response to doing being harmed. I went to Haiti a few years ago, so I certainly am watching the news of Haiti closely. We see lots of gangs who are trying to prevent people from traveling safety. They're trying to prevent people from getting food. But I know, I've seen the conditions there. I know that those are gangs who have experienced hurt and loss and harm themselves. It is what they grew up with. And all too often, that is all they can see. I think that in our churches and our families, this revenge cycle may be a little more hidden. We've learned that it's not okay to say so-and-so is the worst person in the world. But I think it's still true that we harbor resentment. We feel suspicious. We choose not to invite someone over. We choose not to buy a gift or send a card we maybe spread a little rumor or tell others about what's happened hoping that others will also start feeling suspicious think of someone you feel hurt by real hurt it's not imagined it's not excusable it's real Joseph was truly hurt by his brothers, and his life was truly transformed in what seemed to be a very negative way by their actions. I wonder if it feels as red and ugly and heavy as this piece of art. Here's another piece of art. It's called Forgiveness by Julia Wilkinson. Here are two more, I couldn't decide. The one on the left is Forgiveness is the Strength, is, sorry, Forgiveness is the Scent of Crushed Flowers by Stephen D. Miller. Another one called Forgiveness by Heather Buchler. Even though our natural inclination is to exact revenge, to continue that harm circle when someone causes us pain, God offers a different way. In our story for today, we see that God enables Joseph to respond a different way. Not immediately. So fast forward from Genesis 37 to 45. Joseph is sold by his brothers and a lot has happened. He's sold in the end to Potiphar, the chief of the guards in Egypt, and he has risen to power. He's been given trust. He's been given power and influence. And then once again, it comes crashing down when he is accused of molesting Potiphar's wife, and he's put in prison again. Backstabbed by someone he trusted. But then ultimately, he's brought in to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. He does so successfully, and Pharaoh puts him in charge of planning for a famine that those dreams have prophesied. Pharaoh leaves it in Joseph's hands. And Joseph is doing a good job preparing the country and in fact, the entire known world for this major famine. So when Joseph meets his brothers again, they don't recognize him. He has a great deal of power over them. He has power not only to decide whether or not they get food, but he also can decide whether they get imprisoned or even get killed. He has all the power in the world to do whatever he wants in that harm cycle, that revenge cycle. Instead, he tests them a few times that require quite a bit of sacrifice on his brother's part. But finally, when he sees that Judah, his brother, the one who suggested that he get sold to the Ishmaelites way back when, when he sees that Judah is willing to sacrifice his own freedom for the sake of Benjamin, the youngest Joseph, full brother. Joseph is ready to release his need for retaliation and revenge. In response to the pain that he has felt through all of the hurt and loss he has experienced, Joseph is able to choose to forgive. God has worked in his life and his heart to such an extent That he doesn't feel the need to go around that circle anymore. And we read in chapter 45 that it's because Joseph can see that God has done good. Joseph can see that God has transformed his life, has planned his life in such a way that Joseph's hurt has turned to help, not only for himself, not only for Egypt, but for his family back in Canaan and for the world. And so why does Joseph weep so loudly? My best answer is that he weeps in freedom. He is able to allow that heavy burden, that ugly red need for harm to be released. He is able to give it up and he just feels this sense of release that he has never experienced before. Joseph weeps in the freedom that forgiveness offers him. And so he is able to move in a different pathway rather than harming his family He introduces his brothers to Pharaoh, who says, bring your dad, bring everybody to Egypt. I'm going to give you the best land, the land of Goshen, where you can take care of your flocks and herds. You will get all the food you need. You will be protected. And so Jacob, Joseph's father, comes to Egypt. He is reunited with his son, and they as a family can live in peace until Jacob dies. The interesting thing about the story is that Jacob's brothers aren't quite sure that this is for real. When Jacob dies, the brothers are again worried. Is this now the time that Joseph will take revenge? The last chapter of Genesis, chapter 50 says When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, They say, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children." And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph's forgiveness was for real. God gave him freedom to forgive, power to forgive his brothers. God invites us to experience that same freedom in forgiving others. God wants us to release the anger, the ugliness, the heaviness of unforgiveness. And God is a way better model than Joseph. God models forgiveness for us in a way, way more effective. The creatures God has made, us, everyone throughout history, repeatedly abandon him rather than seek him in relationship. Repeatedly choose their own way rather than follow him. Repeatedly hurt the rest of his creatures, his creation, rather than love and care for them as he intended. We repeatedly hurt and harm the God who created us. And yet, instead of letting the pain and the hurt that he himself experiences, God chooses forgiveness. God offers mercy to us, to his world. God chose that Jesus, the Son of God, would come to show the way of healing and restoration. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. God lives and reigns in true freedom of forgiveness. As Jesus dies on the cross as the ultimate act of mercy and grace to God's creation, Jesus prays for those who nailed him there. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Joseph wanted to see remorse, wanted to see that his brothers had changed before he was willing to forgive. It's a very normal expectation in people's experience. But Jesus forgives his killers even before they realize what they have done, even before they realize that what they have done is wrong. In their fantastic book, The Book of Forgiving, which I recommend to you all, Desmond and Mapo Tutu argue that we don't have to be Christians to forgive. They appeal to our shared humanity. They believe that inside we are generally, genuinely good. They are Christian leaders, they are priests. And yet, I'm not sure I would agree with them in saying that we are inherently good. But what they do say is that we don't need to be in Christ in order to forgive well. And I do pray that that is the case for the sake of our world. But as forgiven people, as people who are in Christ, who have experienced being lost and being found, we have the best reason to forgive, to experience the freedom of forgiveness. Last week, we were reminded of our brokenness and of God's willingness to lift up all who were bowed down. God draws near to us. God forgives us. So Jesus' parable in Matthew 18 expresses it so well. He tells of a servant who was forgiven a huge debt he could never repay. This forgiven servant has the opportunity to forgive a tiny little debt. He doesn't and ends up being imprisoned. Since we have been forgiven a huge debt, God invites us to forgive the debts of those who hurt and harm us. This isn't easy. What strikes me about forgiveness is that none of us as Christians would say that we don't know that we need to forgive. But when I look in the Bible, I see more models of forgiveness than explanations and explorations of how to do it. That's why I love the book of forgiving, and I wish I could talk to you for another half hour to give you more details about what they offer in the book of forgiving but let me, let me give you just a little taste the tutus describe the freedom that is brought through the work of forgiveness as a fourfold path so you notice now that this is the full diagram they say yes there is hurt there is harm there is loss which causes pain But any time we experience pain, we have the option. And in Jesus Christ, we have the call and the invitation to choose whether to harm and to continue along the revenge cycle or whether to work toward healing, working the fourfold path of forgiveness. Here are Desmond and Mapo Tutu. This fourfold path goes like this. Tell the story, name the hurt, grant forgiveness, and then renew or release relationship. What I love about this path, which has become influential around the world, I would say, is that it spends half the time acknowledging how big and painful and massive and damaging the harm is. In their book, The Book of Forgiving, they tell stories of murder. They tell stories of dismemberment. Desmond Tutu was involved in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. He heard horrific stories. Mopo tells a story of her... um, her kitchen helper, her housekeeper, murdered right in her daughter's bedroom. They know the pain that can happen in the world. And so forgiving begins with telling the story of what happened, just talking truthfully about what it was. Probably not immediately to the person who hurt you, Maybe, first of all, to a trusted person or a family member. Maybe, eventually, to the person who hurt you. The second step is to name the hurt, to express the emotions that that pain caused. Anger, loss, guilt, vulnerability, all the things hurt and loss and it's only then after those first two steps of acknowledging the damage that they say you can grant forgiveness whether or not the person is remorseful or not whether or not you can even speak to the person anymore it is a decision to focus on the humanity of the other person. And it is in that sense of empathy that forgiveness becomes a decision that we practice every day. The fourth step is renewing or releasing the relationship. The person who hurts you, you may not have the option to be in relationship with them anymore. Maybe you don't want to, but you recognize that in some way, your stories have become joined. But it's important in that step to ask for what you need from the person who hurt you. Don't allow yourself to be a victim again. This fourfold path is a way to live in the freedom of forgiveness. To weep, maybe even, in the freedom that God offers through forgiving others. I want to tell you a little story of how these four points may show up in someone's life. Remember that mom who stood at the trial and said to the other young boy, I'm going to kill you. Jack Cornfield continues this story. He says that after about a year of this boy being in prison, the mom of the killed teen comes to visit him. He's understandably a little frightened. She says, I've just got to talk with you. They have a little bit of conversation. And as she leaves him, she says, do you need anything, like cigarettes or something? She leaves him a bit of money. She starts to visit him. She goes every few months, and over the course of three or four years, she starts visiting him more and more frequently, talking to him. When he's about 17 or 18, he's about ready to get out of prison. And she asks, what are you gonna do? He says, I have no idea. I have no family, I have nothing. She says, well, I've got a friend who has a little factory Maybe I can help you get a job. So she arranges that with the parole officer. Then she asks the boy, where are you going to stay? And he says, "I, I don't know. Well, she says, I have a spare room where you can stay with me. So he comes and stays in the spare room, takes the job. And after about six months, she says, I really need to talk with you. Come into the living room. She looks up at him and says, remember that day in court when you were convicted of murdering my son and I stood at you and I looked at you. You had killed him for no reason at all, just to get into a gang. And I said, I'm going to kill you. Yes, ma'am, I'll never forget that day, he says. And she looks back and says, well, I have, you see, I didn't want a boy who could kill in cold blood like that to continue to exist in this world. So I set about visiting you, bringing you presents, bringing you things, taking care of you. And now I let you come into my house and got you a job and a place to live because I don't have anybody anymore. My son is gone, and he was the only person I was living with. I set about changing you, and you're not that same person anymore. But I don't have anybody, and I want to know if you'd stay here. I'm in need of a son, and I want to know if I can adopt you. That cornfield relates this story, which he heard on the train as he traveled from Washington to Philadelphia. And he says, The boy said yes. And she did adopt him. I can't believe it's hard to imagine. That when we talk about forgiving to the point of renewing a relationship to that extent, it's hard to imagine. I don't even know if this woman was a Christian. But I hope she was. I almost believe she had to be. God sees the hurt, the harm, the pain that you've experienced from other people. And he invites you to release it and live weeping in freedom. Let's pray. Jesus, when I think about how easily. I lash out at someone who's done the littlest thing. It's hard for me to imagine you willingly being nailed to a cross for me. So thank you. I pray that you will send your Holy Spirit into every one of us, and not only into each of our hearts, but into this church, into our country, into this world that is so torn apart by the need for revenge, and renew us. Fill us with your ability to forgive and help us to work together for Shalom. We pray in your precious and loving, gracious name, Amen. Please stand to sing a song of dedication. Before I go, I want to just highlight again that people can do horrible, horrific things. We can even do horrible, horrific things to ourselves, and sometimes the person we need to forgive most is ourself. If you need someone to talk to, to just to start telling the story or identifying the hurt that you are experiencing. I am a safe person. I'm glad to listen to your story and help you start to process. We also pay for counseling for anyone in our congregation to get free counseling through Shalem Christian Counseling. And that information is in our uh, weekly e-news. So I am going on vacation, but I would be glad to meet with you after uh, when I'm back, if that would be of service to you that i wish you god's blessing and send you with his peace the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord turn his face toward you and give you peace amen